Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Javier Bardem's Anton Chigurh is death and he is coming and inevitably he is coming he will not stop and he will not be killed and it's inevitable Josh Brolin everything goes wrong for him when he makes that decision to take that two million dollars and once he makes that decision, he has sealed his fate. Nothing he could do after that moment will, would keep him alive. He was dead from that moment onwards. And it's kind of like this biblical sense of you have done wrong and he is coming for you. And I kind of love that. You know, they're so, they're so bold in their storytelling. I think they're brilliant. I still would have taken the money. <laughs> <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome to this episode of Flixwater Podcast. Today I'm joined by Will. Hello. Kevin. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> and Helen. Hello. And this is No Country for Old Men. Thank you as always to the mighty people for the mighty, mighty tunes. And thanks to Ben from Rockwood Audio for his awesome editing skills. Please do remember to write a review and rate us on Apple Podcasts anywhere you can do where you listen to the podcast because it really does help us. And you can join in the conversation with us on Twitter at FlixWatcherPod and on Instagram at FlixWatcher. Hello film fans. Joining FlixWatcher remotely today, we have Will and Kevin. If you could please say hello to our listeners and tell them a little bit more about who you are and what you do, please. Hello. Well, um, I'm Will Collins. I'm a screenwriter and now uh, co-host of uh, The Best Bits Pod. Um, I've written uh, three and a, three uh, feature films and a Christmas special. Most recently, I suppose I'd be known for writing Wolfwalkers, the animated feature with Cartoon Saloon and my Oscar previous nominated. film. Oscar nominated. Oscar nominated, yes. As, yes, of, as, as, as we record this, as of yesterday, was it? The day uh, yesterday, yeah, yesterday, yesterday, yeah. yeah. Um, so we're uh, we're in, you know, we're in the Oscar running. And um, previously, before that, I also co- uh, wrote uh, Song of the Sea uh, with Cartoon Saloon, which was also Oscar nominated. And my first feature was a little independent movie called My Brother's and I wrote a Christmas special that's on Netflix called um, Angela's Christmas. That's a co- I co-wrote that actually mm. as well. And um, I'm also a co-host on uh, the Best Bits podcast, but my credits are a little uh, quicker to get through. I wrote one film called Grabbers, which was a monster movie that came out um, about eight or nine years ago now. And um, I've written three episodes of TV, which was based on Neil Gaiman's short stories that was on Sky about two years ago uh, called Likely Stories. 
and uh, everything else has yet to be produced, which I think is the... <laughs> Isn't that, is that's the, kind of how it, how it works for you guys in, in this industry, isn't it? Unfortunately, especially it writers, because you're like you're right at the at the, at the tip end, mm -hmm. and yeah. then everything comes like months afterwards. Yeah, we're in the sort of years, research years. and development uh, stage of of filmmaking, so a lot of our work tends to be um, testing out whether something is is viable. So mm. we do a lot of work for stuff that uh, infrequently makes it to screen. But um, yeah, so I'm the I'm the grubby sidekick to Will with his uh, three films and a Christmas well, special. We'd be here a long time. We'd be here a long time if we could list out all the stuff that we created that never got made. So um, yeah, it's just better to just go for the quick list. <laughs> I mean, is that just part, part of the course for you guys? When when you advise new screenwriters or scriptwriters, you just say, well, half Don't these things it. aren't getting made, but it's, it's a journey. <laughs> you, you know, enjoy writing. Yeah. See light yeah. today. I remember doing yeah. a screenwriting course um, about 15 years ago uh, by a script doctor named Linda Seeger and mm. um, her motto was enjoy the process and I looked at it and thought that doesn't sound very encouraging but no <laughs> I know what she means <laughs> enjoy the process mm -hmm. it's so true well I have seen Grabbers I saw it, um, uh, it was in festivals in like 2012 yeah um, and I can't remember it was your man from Coupling um, was the main thing that Richard uh, Coyle Richard Coyle yeah yeah um, and I loved it I loved it I thought it was great oh cheers so, it was um, on Netflix. Uh, at yeah, one stage. I thought it was because Remember I would have picked it. Big <laughs> 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 up your own film. Yeah. Well, tell us a bit about Best Picks uh, podcast and how you got that together and what what that's about and why people should listen. Uh, basically, filmmaking can be quite arduous, as we sort of hinted at there. Um, but films themselves are a lot of fun, mm. and we sort of just started this podcast to basically. Uh, tap back into what it was like for us before we sort of broke into the industry or sort of clawed our way in um, by just being film fans and just talking about the things that we love. So we sort of landed on this concept around Christmas, which was um, a, an easy way into films, discussing all different types of films, different genres and what have you, based on different film scenes. And we have a big wheel and we spin it each week and we get a different scene suggestion, like sex scenes, action scenes, musicals, um, all random stuff, Alan Smithy scenes. And um, <laughs> we get together and we just sort of pick and pitch our favorite scenes and uh, it's a lot of fun we just sort of get to, to uh make each other laugh once a week and um Was it, yeah isn't it like 350 topics on that wheel or something insane there is and we keep adding to them some of them are, are really daft like uh best nude scene um but <laughs> but that's the gas thing it's the daft it's the daft topics that actually open up these wonderful portals that takes you down like mm. you know when you get a topic that you, you think you'd love to get like you know for me it was like I, I I got Harrison Ford and I went yeah Harrison Ford and then when I actually was faced with the task of actually narrowing it down it was a complete nightmare but then I got a uh, I've got a you know a topic like um best Alan Smithy scene and you go oh god that's gonna be a nightmare but then that's actually loads of fun you find out loads of interesting information and and um I, I love doing it because it is great crack and as yeah. Kevin was saying it kind of reconnects us it was how it all started was through lockdown when we were having zoom calls and stuff like that and you know it, you know lockdown for everyone has been a, a you know a trudge but um when we we're having these calls we would talk about I stuff yeah, <laughs> the only guy I don't have who's to see anybody. It's great. Advocating for lockdown five is Kevin Lehan. Um, uh, but yeah, it's great. Like it is genuinely great crack, and it's kind of it's but it's like our um, it's rejuvenated me in my love for cinema. Not that it was gone, but it just every week I listen to if I'm if Kevin's hosting, 
I get him to take me down a wonderful path of um, mm. of joy, of filmic joy. And uh, that's why I love it. And it's actually very personal as well. That's the weird thing about it. It's become quite kind of autobiographical as well, I've, I've found. So, yeah, it's cool. I love it. <laughs> it's quite, film choice does tend to be quite personal, doesn't it, Helen? I yeah. guess because we have, we have some people on here who they don't know what the, or they, they've never watched the film that their partner's chosen. Um, oh. And they are they hate it <laughs> and you see you can see like the friendship like splitting uh, just ever so much but not because they just because when you know when you find out someone you know love and trust you know for ages doesn't like the film in the same way you do it's it's, it's, it's a bit gutting sometimes oh um, it's horrible it's like when you 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 introduce somebody to a film and you try and watch it with them and no, you just spend yeah. Time watching their reaction and getting really miffed if they're not like, but that's funny. Why aren't you laughing? Yeah, that's well. Turn it off. I don't want to watch it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> it never yeah. goes the way you that, hoped. No, no. It's the pressure as well. It's like if somebody comes to you and says you've got to watch this, it's brilliant. You sort of have your hackles up and you think, well, yeah, straight away, I'll decide whether I think it's good or not. <laughs> yeah. um, well, talking films, we're here to talk about No Country for Old Men, which is Robert Will. Rubbish film. <laughs> <laughs> is this one of those uh, where, where friendships divide? No. And that was the last episode uh, of The Best no Bits Pod. Thanks your... for joining us. <laughs> <laughs> um, so tell us about No Country for Men. Uh, the synopsis in less than 60 seconds and also why you chose it, Will. Okay, well... No Country for All Men was released in 2007, um, written uh, and directed, well, adapted and directed by Joel and Ethan Cohn, and uh, was based on a Cormac McCarthy novel. And the kind of the, it's a very simple uh, plot, really. Uh, it's basically about a kind of a, a retired uh, army Vietnam vet, but he's not Rambo, he's just like uh, a welder. And he's out hunting one day in the Texas desert. And he randomly comes across a dog that's been wounded and he follows the dog. Uh, it's kind of like a, a kind of like a pit bull type of dog. And he uh, encounters uh, a scene of a massacre in which uh, a, a, a drug deal has gone wrong and everyone's dead. And he goes over and he finds the last dude that's, that's you know, that walked away, but it was but died. And he had a suitcase with him. And in that suitcase was $2 million. So he takes the suitcase and the story kind of unfolds from there because he shouldn't have taken the suitcase and he's been tracked down by a a kind of a, what would we call it? A methodical kind of killer called Anton Sugar, played by Javier Bardem. And it's basically a, a cat and mouse chase where uh, Josh Brolin's character is evading Javier Bardem, but Javier Bardem is always on his tail. And it's like, it's almost like a Terminator story in one way. But then it takes this incredible turn at the end yeah, and also we have this other kind of character played by uh, Tommy Lee Jones, who's the sheriff. Who's I, say, I think this is going well over the sixty seconds here. Will <laughs> I love it? I love this film. <laughs> I love it because the, the, my first instinct coming out of this film was I, I I wasn't satisfied by the story, but not in a I hated that sort of way, but in a what the hell was that about? You know that ending that well the way the story turned in the last you know third of the of the narrative, um really I found uh, compelling and confusing, and I know I just wanted to go right back in there and try and figure out what the hell was going on, and um and I did I went back in like not straight away but like the next day I went back to watch it in the cinema again, and that's when I fell in love with it when I actually knew what was coming and I was able to kind of piece it together in my own head. I loved it and I still love it. And what what happened in in that in that sleep at night? Did you 
were you trying to piece it together then? And like, was there an, an epiphany that you came to or? Well, it's, it's basically, I was so shocked by the, the, the turn that happened in the story that I felt... We can, we can spoil, so oh, well, don't, don't well, be shy. This is jump, uh, jumping pretty late into stories when Josh Brolin, who has been our, our hero and the guy we've been rooting for, the guy we want to evade with the money and escape Javier Bardem and hopefully kill Javier Bardem's Anton Sugar, gets brutally gunned down by Mexican uh, drug, the Mexican drug gang off camera. Mm-hmm. off screen and it's so anticlimactic and anti-heroic and and devastating that i just went oh what happened what my my hero that i've been rooting for is gone and it it gutted me it gutted me and um once i was able to go back in and watch the film which from the beginning with that knowledge in my head i found myself looking for another way of carrying my experience my the experience of viewing the film through it you know i went in with different lens and i found a different Mm. protagonist and my different protagonist was tommy lee jones and i rooted myself in him and i went okay and uh, once i kind of input my emotional investment in tommy lee jones's character and listened to him a little bit more then my uh, overall experience with with the story was far more gratifying and enriching and um I think I got it once, uh, or I got some message that felt rich for me, anyway, on the second viewing. See, my uh, protagonist, the one that I uh, closely identified with, was Anton Chigurh. I was rooting for him. So for me, it was a happy ending, and I really enjoyed it. <laughs> well, it was a happy ending when you end up with bones sticking out your out your arm. Is that is that a good ending for you? Or? Oh, he got to walk off into the sunset. I thought that was very heroic. But uh, no. It just defies convention, that film. So like a screenwriter's, you know... It's hard to sort of unpack a film where you go, they are deliberately foregoing three-act structure here and they are um, breaking the rules deliberately and having to accept that and sort of, uh, you know, read the film in a different context, knowing that it it is just all about this unsatisfying sort of pattern to life, that life itself doesn't really make sense. And it's just basically what you can snatch from it and and take out of it. It's like Tommy Lee Jones' dream at the end. I think that sort of sums up the film there's there's not really much meaning there it's just about the feeling that you're left with and, uh, yeah. yeah was that feeling kind of worsened as a result of you had some characters like Stephen Root uh and um Woody Harrelson who mm. are almost bit part players and they both come in and then just die as a at the hands yeah. of Anton Chigurh so you, in, in a typical film where you know I mean Stephen Root lesser but if Woody Harrelson's in the film he comes in halfway through you think he's going to make more of an impact and that's yeah does kind of sideswipe people I guess Helen? Yeah, I mean, when you see big names on it, um, I was going to give an example away, which would have been a spoiler, but you, when you expect them to um, last at least, I don't know, 20 minutes or so when they come <laughs> to it, um, it's always uh, an interesting, you're like, oh, we're, we're going we're gonna to play that way? Okay. And it, it kind of makes it exciting because you're like, well, if they could die, anyone could die. So... Mm. I, d- I don't mind that. This this isn't. Um, I think I was probably the same when I saw it for the first time. I was like, yeah, not really sure about that, and um, I'm I'm still not really sure about it myself. I think it pr- probably goes into my middle tier of 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 Cohen films, but um, I w- I did I enjoyed it more the second time round, but I'm not quite sure why that was because quite a long time had gone in between them, and mm. I hadn't wanted to to go back and revisit 
I think maybe I um, maybe invested in the dogs. That does some strong dog <laughs> acting at the beginning, um, yeah. which um, I, I thought was good. That dog was incredible. He was not yeah. letting up. He was really yeah, going I mean, for it. Yeah, he yeah. turned when he looked but, uh, back over his shoulder. It was just like, whoa! Give him the Oscar, you know? Or didn't like <laughs> seriously? And he, he was limping as well. Shoulder. Exactly, yeah. that's it. Look back at your shoulder and limp away, and I was like, "Yeah." But you know what else I love about it is there's no film score in the the film, so it, yeah. it just plays like ASMR to me. It's just got this this sort of um, lovely that's atmosphere that. that starts off very relaxing and soothing, and you're just sort of uh, well, aside from the murder. But when you're sort of tracking uh, the hunt with Josh Brolin, uh, and then that sort of absence of uh, a score sort of just heightens the tension it just becomes unbearably tense like with that Woody Harrelson scene where he's just sitting there and it's when the phone rings it's like your heart jumps out of your chest it's, mm. it's amazing doesn't it doesn't manipulate your emotions because there's mm. no music there to kind of build it up to the something that you're expecting so that's probably sort of the unexpectedness as well because there's no musical cues to point you as something is mm. going to happen like this oh is there going to be action next is there going to be something scary next it's just strange the mm. thing i noticed that was there because i it was it, in this last viewing the absence of score really stood out to me but i was listening to kind of see what sort of sound engineering was there to replace that and what is there is there's a very conscious insertion of the sound of wind you hear winds blowing through blowing across the desert you hear wind right. blowing through like you know these um Oh, uh, w- uh, not wind vanes, weather vanes, not wind vanes anyway, but also like through bl- wind blowing through curtains and stuff like that. And there's something, again, it, it, give, it adds a texture and reality to this world that um, makes this less of a fanciful kind of like entertaining thriller and more of a real kind of like, you know, you're you're on the edge of your seat feeling that this is real life and this is closer to almost documentary and where's like you know once you take away the artifice of the score you're kind of like oh god this is actually happening and anyone could die and this is real here's a random uh question for you guys do you ever hear music in your dreams oh um dreams are always i don't know you know just the actual (laughs) sound of real life you don't really hear music i don't think so i don't know whether that played into it because you know they're very deliberate filmmakers so that was a definite choice and uh, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I guess I was just enthralled in the film uh, each time I've seen it, but it, mm. I, it hadn't tweaked. And it's, I think it's kind of testament to the power of the screenplay and the performances that the tension in each tense scene was was built up due to what was, we purely see on screen. And that, that scene in the in the petrol station was probably what stuck me stuck with me most because that was a real sense of that real threat that came Quality. out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, we'd seen him. We'd seen him take that guy out at the side of the road, so we knew he was dangerous. We'd seen him kill the police, the cop, but we hadn't really heard him speak and how he, his mannerisms and how he held himself and how he could. Yeah, almost oh. it's almost like um, a Two Face from Batman, isn't it? He just suddenly like he was mm. kind of happy, happy Larry, and then he said, "Well, what's the weather like your way? Where's my yeah. way?" And that's already he's he's pissed off with this guy. Yeah. Um, what era was the film set in? Because he's got like. A 70s haircut. And 1980. Those cars are not 1980. Do you know the reason how I know it's 1980? Because in that scene, he says, when he flips the coin, he says... Uh, 22 years. Yeah, he says, this coin uh, was minted in 1958. It's taken 22 years to get to, to this moment right yeah. now. Ah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Nice. Maths. Yeah, there we go. 
And it took me, I, I, I was up all night adding those together. <laughs> I was like going, wait, no, Josh Bonham was in the Goonies and he was a teenager in the Goonies. He could have been in Vietnam. <laughs> that's real. That's not real life, Kevin. Yeah. <laughs> that's how my but brain works. I, there's so much I love about this. And I, I suppose on a thematic level as well, there's a kind of, a, there's a connection with a lot of like, um, it's almost like a biblical parable, a moral fable. And one reading into it is that, you know, Javier Bedem's Anton Chigurh is death and he is coming. And inevitably, he is coming, whether fate decides it or not, you know, maybe fate will let you off this time, but he will not he will not stop and he will not be killed and it's inevitable. That's something you just have to come to terms with. And and I I love that because that kind of goes back into into stories like uh, like Fargo, which is, you know, a huge one for me. Um, Fargo is mm-hmm. all about just sim- the, the greed. But also there's one thing, what I lo- another thing I love about the story and the screenwriting of this is that Josh Brolin he everything goes wrong for him when he makes that decision to take that two million dollars and once mm. he makes that decision he has sealed his fate there's nothing nothing he could do after that moment will would keep him alive he was dead from that moment onwards and it's kind of like this biblical sense of you have done wrong and he is coming for you and i kind of love that you know there's inevitability about it and you know they're so they're so bold in their storytelling i think they're brilliant i still would have taken the money <laughs> I would have taken the money and then checked for a transponder. I would check for yeah. a transponder and then uh, you know, put, put the transponder in a dog. <laughs> I remember seeing this film in the the cinema, and um, obviously everyone was reeling after Josh Brolin was killed. But when yeah. Anton Chigurh turned up at Kelly McDonald's mm. uh, house, there was just this ripple of like, ah. Oh, that went right through the cinema of like, oh, yeah. don't do this, please. And um, yeah. yeah, it's such a brutal sort of end to that character. He just walks out and checks his shoes like as if he's just walked through uh, dog dirt or whatever. And uh, yeah, it's so cruel and so dark. And yeah, um, But the film is also surprisingly funny as well. Like I, uh, when I was rewatching it for this, I burst out laughing when he says to the uh, the guy driving the, the chicken coop truck, um, can you get those chicken crates out of the back of that? And he goes, what? And it just does this hard cut to him yeah. hosing down the truck, <laughs> getting rid of all the feathers. You just know he's just after executing that guy. But uh, yeah, they're, um, they're sick individuals, the Coens. Tommy, Tommy Lee Jones actually is like the comic relief in this film. Um, he gets some of, the, some of the best lines and some of the best stories, especially when playing off with the, um, I don't yeah, know the name Dylan. of the, his deputy. Yeah. Um, but those are some of the funny scenes. He's got a line that said, yeah. uh, his deputy says, oh, it looks it looks like one hell of a mess. And he says, well, if it ain't, it'll do till the mess gets here or something like that. It's a brilliant line. And he just, he just, ah, oh, his, his performance is devastating. I love him. I loved Woody Harrelson's uh, description of Anton Sugar as well, which was, uh, how would you describe him? He doesn't have a sense of humor. It's just like, <laughs> that's a lovely descriptor for this uh, bull-headed um, Terminator. <laughs> So Helen, you said this is mid mid uh, Coen Brothers. And I think Coen Brothers is probably our most. Um, the Coen Brothers are our director we've featured most in flicks. We've had Fargo, um, Buster Scruggs, Burn After Reading. Burn After I Reading. I love that one as well, which is a very divisive film. It, yeah, you weren't you weren't so much a fan, Helen, were you? But uh, no. so, I enjoyed mean, it a lot more the second time. I, the first time I didn't get it, but the second time I was just like, this is silly. Let's let's enjoy the silliness. Um, 
How do you feel about intolerable cruelty? Has that um, ever popped up? It hasn't. I have to watch it again. I've never seen it. I found intolerable, but uh, it's people <laughs> really love that film. So uh, I'm trying to be, be convinced because I usually love all their films, um, but uh, that one just didn't work for me. Well, this Helen, is you're saying it's material. Considered, yeah, I was going to say. Well, this is largely considered their their best film, and the mm. the Academy certainly thought so with four four wins for it. So, would would you say this is their best film? Um, I'd go Fargo. Fargo. Fargo is one of my favorite films of all time, but this is I will put it in the the, the top tier. Like it's up in. For me, there's they, they've got a pretty packed top tier. So basically, um, there's yeah, there, it's in that had, top bunch for me. Big Lebowski as well. Mm. Sorry, just think about that. Yeah, Middle I didn't like that when I first saw it either. You didn't like Big Lebowski? Oh. No, I don't think I like any of their films the first time I watched them, and it's because they um, they subvert my kind of an, an innate storytelling brain, and they kind of they 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 want to I suppose I can use they screw with me. And the part of my brain goes, hang on a second, why, why are they they're making this, these strange decisions? And then I go back and I go, oh God, they're just, they're just, so, they're such masters. They can do whatever the hell they want. And I, I, it takes me, I'm like one viewing behind their joke. You know, I kind of, I'm like, that kid has to come back, you know, oh yeah, now I get it. I'm, I've left the party and I've got the joke when I'm lying in bed that night, you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> and, um, but I get it and I, and I eventually get it. And um, I love their films. I think they're absolutely master filmmakers. But- if this film followed more of a conventional sort of three-act structure and it became, you know, the big face-off between Brolin and Chigurh, sort of like a rematch from what happened um, uh, with the, the the shooter at the hotel, I don't think that we would still be sort of like talking no. about this film. It's because it sort of swung for the fences and, you know, a lot of that is due to the book as well and Cormac McCarthy just being a very dark and dull uh, writer, beautiful writer, but very dark subject matter. Um, but I think it is that that sort of ambiguous unsatisfying almost um, approach to uh, wrapping up the story that that you just you want to unpack it you want to understand it you want to mm-hmm. figure it out you feel like there's there's something you're not getting but uh, I just love that about it that's what elevates it well, for me it, it, obviously Will left and had to go back the next day because he couldn't stop thinking about it even though he didn't like it <laughs> I think that's that's um, interesting for storytellers I have one question though which I, I still don't understand the motivation of uh, Anton Chigo where he is in the hotel room or in the motel room after Josh Bowen's been killed and mm-hmm. Tommy Lee Jones turns up and uh, he's hiding behind the door, isn't he? I or don't is think he, he is. The... I don't think he is. It's a weird cut. I don't think he's in the room. I think he's in I another sure room. I not sure whether he was in the, yeah, the hotel I think he might be, door. do you know, the, the, like even the gag that um, Josh Brolin pulled where he was in like the, the apartment beside it or behind it or whatever it was, he was able to get access. No, but like we saw the, the, the coin and stuff like that. I was confused by that as well. But I'm, pr- but if he was in the room, uh, Tommy Lee Jones That's wouldn't be at the That's just incompetent filmmaking, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But they're just fucking with us. That's what they're doing. They love yeah. doing that sort of stuff. Okay, well, let's head to the scores. Hello, folks. I'm Sam. And I'm Martin. And every week for the last five years, we've got together to talk about the musician Tom Waits. He's a gravelly voice singer that sounded like he doused his vocal cords in bourbon and set fire to them with a cigarette (laughs) and wrote such classic songs as Way Down in the Hole, Downtown Train, Jersey Girl... Uh, He's also the gravelly-voiced actor from films such as The Ballad of Buster Scruggs and Seven Psychopaths, both of which coincidentally are on Netflix and both of which Kobe and Helen have discussed here on Flixwatcher. 
So make sure you check those episodes out. And when you have a little bit of a taste for the magic that is Tom Waits, why not head over to songbysongpodcast.com or search for Song by Song in your podcatcher of choice to listen to a little bit more about Tom Waits. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. So welcome to the Flixwatcher scores. All of the scores are out of five. You may have decimal places if you wish. And we'll start with you, please, Will, with the recommendability. So out of five, how much would you recommend this to people? Um, well, I well the thing about it is, is I, I absolutely would recommend this to people, but I would put in, I was so good at five, but I would make sure to give them a caveat that it's a neo-noir neo Western and it doesn't end... He mightn't have the happy ending that you would expect from a Western. So I would, um, yeah, it's oh, Would you tell him that though? Yeah, I would have to. Matter? I would have to tell my dad. <laughs> I'd have to tell my dad. Right. My dad would just, I would, it's my dad. And I would say, yeah, you should watch it, but watch out, you know. Yeah. So it's a, it's a. <laughs> I watched this with my dad. It's the last film I saw in the cinema with my dad, actually. Uh, I don't know if that put him off, but <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, he loved it. Yeah, I'd probably be similar to Will in that I would have to ask them, do you like the Coen brothers in general? Uh, mm. Do you like their darker stuff? If so, then it's a five. If not, it's um, it it's a dark film and it's, uh, it, it, you know, your mileage may vary, but I think it's definitely a five. Helen? Yeah, it's an interesting one because there's there's no no reason that I could legitimately fault it. But at the same time... I just don't get the same kind of enjoyment that I get out of Fargo. I think maybe it's it's quite a man's film. All of the mm. characters are men. And the only there's two women of note in there. One of them dies. The other one doesn't. Um, whereas in Fargo, you've got good old Marge, who's mm. basically the best thing ever. So maybe there's that playing in my mind. And then it is a neo-Western. There is a definite kind of westerny feel about it it's got horses in it it's got like <laughs> the border and i my brain is like i don't do western so maybe it's like the westerny thing about it i'm not really sure so i think a lot of people would have issues with the kind of hero being killed before the end um i wouldn't meant i wouldn't recommend it as highly as i would do fargo so even though it not kind of for me i'd still give it a four i think that's fair i think that's fair uh 4.2 i'm gonna go for i think it's the caveats take it away and i think as helen said in in to its detriment it does it does kind of skew male doesn't it um and it's it's not a crowd pleaser no no and that's fine and there's many of my favorite films like donnie darker for example where Mm. if you if you were told to say to someone what's Donnie Darko without any n- knowledge of who that person is, then you're a bit of an, it's unfair really, yeah. isn't it? But if you know it's someone who likes kind of slightly acerbic films or off kilter things, and I think your question is, what do you make of the Coen brothers in general? And if they're positive, then say, yeah, hundred percent, you should watch No Country for Men. Um, 
But if they if their favorite film is, you know, Titanic, The Princess Diaries, then <laughs> yeah, you're not going to enjoy this. Watch Intolerable Cruelty instead. <laughs> I have I have score. seen that, but I can't remember much about it. Yeah, it's the Catherine Zeta Jones one. It's um, it's a little bit more glib. It's um, well, all the films are kind of glib, but it's it's they're rom com really. The only I know the. The only Coen Brothers films that I remember not liking and not even not even a, in a not even in a I want to go back and watch this again because I think I'm just not getting it the first time around was The Lady Killers. And that was the one where I just went, uh, this was just not this was just a mm. poor idea. Okay. And um yeah, that's the only one. The rest of them I'm like going, Yeah, I'll give every one of these films a, a go again. Uh repeat well, that, that leads us into repeat viewing score. Will. Mm-hmm. Uh oh yeah, five. 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 Oh God, I've gone every time. I, obviously, I went back the next day. So uh, yeah, and I went back and watched it again at the weekend and just went, yeah, I would watch this again next weekend. So it's a five for me. Uh, Kevin? I would say uh, I'll go four just because you want to pace it out a little bit, but it's always going to be um, enjoyable if you do sort of, it's one of those films that if it was on telly, not just on Netflix, but if it was just airing on telly, I would find myself just sitting down and, and watching it right through to the end again. Um, it just has that hold over me. It's just it's such a such a captivating sort of mood. Um, so four. Helen? I definitely haven't seen it since around 2007, <laughs> 8-ish. But I, I did kind of look forward to seeing it again. Maybe I just need a bigger gap and then maybe if someone suggests it in a few <laughs> years. <laughs> I don't know. Don't like 20 it. years, not gap. 11 <laughs> a gap or there's a the reason another reason for me to revisit so i'm not going to rush out and revisit it but then it's not the worst thing to watch i'll go down the middle two and a half it's quite long it's two hours two hours mm. of people's heads being blown to pieces with ca- castle guns <laughs> well, I'm, I'm gonna go for i'm gonna go for a 3.8 here i think it's um i hadn't watched it for since it first came out um, and when it first came out on DVD when I first saw it <clears throat> and then it came on Netflix quite recently like six months ago and I remember on our WhatsApp chat with Helen I was like ah No Country for Men's on Netflix and I literally like sat put it down and watched it because I hadn't seen it for a while and I um, was really looking forward to it and really enjoyed it and then you chose you chose again for this world so I watched it so in the space of six months I watched it twice mm-hmm. um, and it's it's weird that you said it's the story is quite simple because I don't think it is. Um, and I forgot about all the different twists and turns and uh, things that happened before then Josh Brolin dies. And this, this third watch is the first time I realized how he died. Cause I think I missed the fact that the, the Mexicans mm. cartel were the ones that took him out. So I think there's different layers to it. And I think it does bear repeat viewing. So 3.8. And before we get to the small screen score, one question I asked before we get to the recording was Anton Chigurh as a, as a screen villain. Guys, you, you you write films. How how well drawn out? How how, how interesting is he as a as a villain? He's just a force, isn't he? He's not really the, what what he's a haircut, uh, and <laughs> he's, he is I, I, as Will was saying. I think he is death. He's Jaws. He's mm-hmm. he's the Terminator. He's he's just mm-hmm. this force of uh, unrelenting um, doom. Had you seen um, Xavier Bardem before this? Xavier Bardem. What was he in before 2007? He was in a few things. I'd definitely seen him before. Um, Spanish language films. Yeah, I'd yeah. seen, I'd seen some of those. The ones with Penelope Cruz and things. Um, but 
this was one that cemented him, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely seen him before. I can't tell you what I saw him in at this moment because, you know, time has become a flat circle where... <laughs> I, I was shocked that this it's film weird. came out in 2007, to be honest. I thought it was only like a few years back. It's weird for me rewatching it. Um, I kind of, I, I find, like, I, I think, yeah, he's he's a, he's an amazing, in isolation in that film alone, I remember being terrified by him. And, but I remember the social media storm that kind of, not social, but like, you know, there was, there were so, so, so many little videos parroting him. And like there was, I don't know if anyone's seen the YouTube video of that scene in the petrol station where they just like uh, pitched up his voice when he's, um, you know, when he's telling the the, the, the petrol attendant to flip the <laughs> coin and they just pitched up his voice for the whole scene or whatever it was. And it's hilarious. And so when I'm watching it, I, when I was watching it the last night, I was like going, oh, the internet kind of ruins his character just a little bit for me. But still, it's what his character does. He's he's He is literally a force of, a force for an agent of death. And that's what he is and that's what his purpose in the story is and uh i still find that absolutely terrifying and so um yeah he's he's brilliant well in, interestingly according to this is from indb according to uh, a business an article in business insider a group of psychiatrists studied 400 movies and identified 126 psychopathic characters they chose him as the most clinically accurate portrayal as a psychopath Wow. Out of 400 movies. He doesn't wow. have a sense of humor, does he? <laughs> and you know what Do you know Call what back. blows me away about his character as well on this last viewing was that when he says something, well, like when he says to Josh Brolin, if you bring the money and put it to my feet, I will not kill your wife. And yeah. Josh Brolin doesn't do that. And even though he gets the money, he kills Josh Brolin, he, st- he clearly has the money. He still goes and kills. He still goes and kills Kelly McDonald, and it's just like, oh my god. Well, at least you know he's going to finish the job. He's not going to walk away. He doesn't. He's he's committed to his task, and it's um, it's yeah. terrifying. Uh, small screen score, will. Oh, I, I, you know, you can't watch this on a small screen. As in, so is that? So basically, you should only watch this on the kind of the best screen. They listen. So small screen score is uh, anything that we can watch on Netflix. So we're talking really home TV. So. Uh, not in the cinema, basically. How good is this at watching it at home, however big your TV screen is? You need to watch it on the biggest canvas you can possibly get your hands on. And if it's it means decent. just moving... Yeah, if it means just shoving your chair right up close to the screen, that's what you have to do. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so I would say... Uh, oh, God. So am I, am I going to say that it needs to be seen? Because a part of the, the beauty of this film is that cinematography or, or those landscapes is the, is the way it's shot. So you, mm. you really have to get the detail. So I'm going to go with, like, if you have a, you need a big setup. So th- three and a half. Sure. Kevin. Yeah, it's not really one you want to watch on, on, a, on a smaller screen. Even a laptop, it feels like it's not doing it justice. Um, so I'll say two. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I'm probably throwing off your whole. <laughs> no, it's, 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 it's the, the way the scoring the works. Yeah. Um, I've never seen this at the cinema, and I think that probably is is partly why I don't. I haven't got the most out of it. I don't think because mm. the particularly there's some bits very near the start with kind of just the way the the kind of the jeeps 
the Jeep trucks, the American truck things, American mm-hmm. trucks, that's what they are, um, a, a shot is just like, yeah, this would have looked really great on a cinema. And also um, two self-surgery scenes. I always enjoy mm. a nice bit of self-surgery. <laughs> and what better than to watch self-surgery on the biggest screen possible? Um so I'm going to give it a three for small screen. If you've seen it before at the cinema, then you can enjoy it on your home screen. But if you haven't, then don't be like me. <laughs> Hunt it out at the cinema first. Yeah, I've only ever seen it on the TV screen. Um, so I would, I'd like to see it in the cinema, definitely. Um, so it's going to be a CS go 2.5 here for small screen score, engagement score, Will. Oh, like how engaging this film is. And how, like, yeah. basically, like Kevin said earlier on, if that film's on... I have to stay with it. I can't. It's like like if you if you switch on Miller's Crossing, I have to stay with Miller's Crossing. It's just like I, you know, and that's the case with this. If it's on the screen, so it's a five for me. I'm totally engaged. And it happened to my wife as a testament. My wife was, I was putting it on at like she was like I'm going to bed, and she literally stayed. And she was like I'm going to bed, but every scene mm-hmm. would, she was like No, I'm I'm going now. But no, she just stayed and stayed and stayed. So it's a five, absolutely. Had you seen it before though? Yeah, we saw it. In the, she was the one who came to me on the second oh, okay. viewing. So yeah, we saw it in the cinema oh, before. Okay, yeah. okay, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, for me, I could even just listen to the film. Not mind just watch it. I just find that the the ASMR quality of it just so um, just yeah, captivating and mesmerizing. Uh, I'll go four point nine, just to be really <laughs> awkward. It's all done on the spreadsheet. We it, that puts the maths. It's fine, uh, Helen. Um, the bits that I'm most engaged are the cat and mouse bits, like the bit before the kind of shootout in the hotel room. Like I really, really love. And then when that's removed, my brain's like, mm, not really. My brain or has already kind of left the picture. So up up until like he kind of is removed from the story, I'm really, really engaged. Say he, who do you mean? Sorry. Sorry, um, what's his name? Moss. Josh Brolin. Is his name Moss? Moss. Yeah, yeah, Josh Brolin's. Is it Moss? Yeah, him, Josh mm-hmm. Brolin, um, the welder. Um, when when he, he dies, my, my engagement drops a little bit, so I'm going to go for a four. But that's not that's quite close to the end of the film, though, isn't it? Mm. There's still quite yeah, a bit. Does. There's a lot of talking that goes on afterwards. His first name is Llewellyn. between the, the old guy. Um, who was he? Oh. There's loads of old guys in this. This really is an old end. guys kind of movie. Is it the oh, yeah. guy where Tommy Lee think... Jones meets at the end? Yeah. It's, that's Tommy Lee yeah. Jones's cousin. That's his Tommy Lee Jones's character's first cousin. Not not his real life first cousin that he just decided <laughs> to call in. A, but no, his character's first cousin. Um, yeah. Who makes one pot of coffee a week? Mm. <laughs> uh, Shoot him the, for all the cats. <laughs> Take the bolt gun to him. That's outrageous. Gets you go to him. Uh, that gives a noble score of three point. Oh, you haven't done yours. Oh yeah, so I, I'm five. Oh. Yeah, five. Um, five, five, five. Three point nine six two five zero, which is good. It's just a dash under. It's the small screen score. Small screen, and yeah, and me. This is where, well, not necessarily you. The small screen score is two point seven five, and it's the thing is, it's Roger Deakins, and you know, if he if he shoots a film that isn't made for the cinema, then what's the point? Yeah. Um. So, although I think Fargo is quite good television, wasn't it? Oh yeah. Um, See, I saw Fargo on the small screen. That yeah. was one I never, I, I was just a tiny bit too young to see it on the big screen. It has and a 16 by 9 ratio. It doesn't have that like big 
panoramic like you know ratio so it works well in a small screen uh, and also it's quite muted with all the snow kind of settings it doesn't kind of stand out in the same way um but yeah that's 3.96 sorry 3.96250 um let's head to twitter everyone do follow us on twitter we are at flitswatcherpod and the main reason to follow us as well as our witty banter throughout the week is before we review a film we put a shout out out such as this we're reviewing no country for old men with willem's film <laughs> kevin Lehane. sorry how do you say your name again kevin Lehane. it's uh carvin uh, no it's uh, <laughs> it's kevin <laughs> Ash, Kevin Lien. Kevin Lien. I, yeah. I did say it right-ish. Um, from Best Bits Pod. Have you seen it? Gives your thoughts and a score out of five stars from On Air. Shout out on Flixwatcher. Um, so we had, it looks like we had a couple of messages. Can you guys see the tweets? Uh, we're reviewing No Country. Um, lots of retweets. The film that launched Javier Bardem, he completely dominates the film and it's easy to forget there's a gripping thriller behind it. His shining performance. I did have to Google the meaning of Tommy Lee Jones' stories though. Five sharp cattle bolts to the head. Oh, I didn't. I've never even thought to Google his stories. Um, this is something I'm going to do as soon as we finish recording. Um, I don't think anyone can really sum it up, really, because you know, uh, I was talking to my dad earlier on, and I said, "Do you remember going to see uh, No Country for Him? And what did what did you think of it?" And he was like, "Yeah, it was great." And I said, "Do you remember how it ends?" He's like, "No, I don't." Um, yeah. <laughs> but it's it's Tommy Lee Jones just recounting sort of two memories of uh, a dream with his dad. And yeah. uh, and then he woke up, and it cuts to, it cuts to black, which is usually one of those things that I, I absolutely love in films. I really love when a film ends on a close up of a face, and you realise that it's all been about the internal journey for that particular character. Um, but that one mm-hmm. played almost like the end of The Sopranos. It was just sort of like, um, yeah. oh, oh, okay, I'm not clever enough for this. Let me let me process this. But uh, yeah. That's life. I just feel it's him. It's his character having to come to term with his with his own mortality and his uh, and the realization uh, that there is evil and uh, an unstoppable evil in the world. And it's not just now; it was it was always there. And there's nothing you can do about it. And I think he's just he's literally coming to terms with his own mortality, and it's and I don't think he's a, he's he has come to terms with it. He's in the process of trying to come to terms with it. That's where I feel he's at, and he's retired. It's sad. It's a somber ending. It's a somber ending, and I love it. I love it. <laughs> Depending on who you identify with, again, as I say, because for me, my guy walked off into the sunset. <laughs> do you find that as 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 screenwriters, guys, when if people they don't get a film and you find out they're, they're watching it from maybe the wrong perspective and you, when you kind of reframe it does that do you find that's how people miss miss the, the I don't know the power behind a film or a story um just personally I can remember really hating Groundhog Day I just thought that it was like um a, a story that never really got going and then I realised that I was an idiot and I watched it with a more developed brain <laughs> and it was a masterpiece so uh, you know it sometimes it, it, some films need to settle with you and you need to sort of um you know uh, they need to sort of you know percolate within the the, the zeitgeist and um but yeah it, it, film is subjective isn't it no matter what mm-hmm. it's like music somebody's favorite song is another person's like nails on a chalkboard so yeah you know to I, each their own you either like it you I, don't like it life is short I'm you like same. what you like like i'm 
I'm I'm aware I'm aware that taste grows and changes as we get older and 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 we're and we bring so much of ourselves into each screening of every each time we watch anything. So I'm told I've because because I've read so many reviews of stuff, but I've also like you know sat through films that I just didn't enjoy in one particular instance and then come back, revisited them years later and just went wow that's amazing just like Kevin said there, um and uh, I, I, but I know in my head that. There, if there's something that maybe I'm not getting out there, there it's, it does tickle something in the back of my brain that's like nudging me to go back and revisit it again. That maybe I'm not at, in the right space. I haven't, my tastes haven't developed well enough, but I feel like, you know, I'll, I'll get there in time, you know. Um, so, uh, yeah. This might not be, you know, worth for the, the podcast, but I remember talking to my uncle when I was a teenager and we having this debate where... Uh, I said, you need to be in the right mindset to watch this particular comedy. Um, mm. And he said, no, a good comedy should work regardless. It's The comedy should make you laugh. Uh, you don't need to be in the, the mind uh, set to, to enjoy a certain film. It's it's the film itself has to do the work. Uh, and I don't really know where I come down on that still. But, mm. I, think, I think sometimes that's where the cinematic experience really works because if you go into cinema, it's you go through those doors to sit down into a darkened room and now it's the time to watch this film. And if film yeah. doesn't play in that circumstance, then it's, you know, that's the thing. But I think if a, if, a film, if a film resonates when you're at home with like birds tweeting around and Twitter's on and you can go to the toilet and pause, then that's a, that's a different kind of experience, isn't it? You're triggering a memory there for me, which is uh, the, the one film where I can sort of like, you know, do a... Uh, a litmus test uh, was my own film Grabbers when that was coming out we mm. saw that repetitively during its run up to its release and you're seeing it with different audiences and the film just felt different depending on the, the energy within the, the room and sometimes the, the film played like gangbusters and other times it was very muted and it was the exact same film um, even the exact same screening uh, the, the cinema itself but it was just mm-hmm. the energy that came into the room was slightly different. And so it, the film itself just was transmogrified by that. It was bizarre. But yeah. Yeah. Well, this is the after, after Twitter segment of uh, the Flexwater podcast. Guys, we'll leave everything there. Uh, let us know where we can find you online and say sayonara to the listeners. Uh, you can find us on Best Bits Pod uh, on Twitter and under our own individual handles at Kevin Lehan and Will. I'm at Willems Film. W A L L U M S F I L L U M. That's very rhythmic. That's Telegal. <laughs> Thank you very much for joining us, guys. Radio, cheers. Thanks for having us. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Sayonara. Enjoyed this episode of Flix Watcher Podcast? Why not leave us a five-star review on iTunes? You can also follow us at Flix Watcher Pod on Twitter and we're at Flix Watcher on Instagram. Thanks as always to the mighty people for their mighty, mighty tunes and Ben from Rockwood Audio for his awesome editing skills. If you're looking to get your podcast edited as sweet as this, get in touch with Ben and that's Rockwood, R-O-K-K Wood Audio. Tell them Flix Watcher sent you. just heard a stripped media production.